0: Welcome everyone, Talk Racing to Me with Naomi, show 17 is here, Traverse Week. It has gone so fast, but there we are, so much to look forward to again this weekend and this show has a mix of reviewing some of the past races as well as trying to dissect what is coming up. As always, please rate and review Talk Racing to Me on Spotify, Google Play or Apple Podcasts keeps us going for the foreseeable future and of course check out all the action on the in the money feed which includes matt bernier's new show and an exciting new jk plus one with nobody less than Bob bafford i mean guys come on i really feel like if you haven't listened to this show yet, you need to go and have a listen because this this is quite quite the episode coming up there I myself have two guests this week, of which one of them is a reoccurring one, namely now grade one winning trainer Jack Sisserson. He was on the show last week. We mentioned three of his horses, two won, and one got beaten by a nose, nearly making it a grade one double on the day for the young Englishman. I won't spoil all the fun by telling you everything, but he very openly discusses his runners their targets as well as his experience training for Calumet Farm and the unfortunate reason he couldn't be present for his first ever grade one win. My second guest is a man most of you know very well or at least are able to recognize his voice with relative ease in the money host Peter Thomas Fornatello who I joined at Brentwood across from Saratoga Racecourse for some cocktails and pizza. We orchestrated quite a nice little exchange with me appearing on his Brentwood show and him sharing his opinion on the three grade run races coming up this weekend. The ballerina for three-year-olds and upwards fillies and mares over seven furlong, the test for three-year-old ladies over seven furlongs and the traverse, the feature of the weekend over a mile and a quarter for three-year-olds. Without further ado, I'm throwing it back to myself. But chatting with my first guest, trainer of Personal Ensign Winner, Vexatious, Jack Sisterson. Jack, we got the chance to chat last Tuesday, and now you're back on the show. I I couldn't resist a a follow-up on the stellar weekend you've had. uh, Vexatious, Lexitonian, and Everfast, we all discussed them, and they all ran their hearts out. So I'd love to start with your leading lady, Vexatious. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned how much she thrives at Saratoga and she she proved that again last Saturday. Incredible feat to best 2019 champion all-dirt female Midnight Bizu Quite the stretch, duel. What was going through your mind at that point when they were going head-to-head?
1: Um, you know, she, she had showed us signs with her previous race and her sort of rounding back to form that she was set to run a big race. And, you know... Nine times out of 10, I'm wrong, but she actually proved that um, we put her in the right spot on Saturday. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Naomi, saying she ran a hard out. And she really did. She really laid it down. And um, I thought if, thanks to Jose Lascano, if she was in a good spot turning for home, we'd have a good chance to hit the board in a grade one, which that ultimately that was a goal to, because of a pedigree, um, it was coming up a short field and would take, she was training extremely well, she, she blossoms at Saratoga, let's take a shot at the grade one to try and get grade one placing just to enhance her, her sort of value as a broodmare touch. And um, thanks again to Jose, put her in a great, great spot and turning for home, she sort of still had a head in front and she was able to, to stay competitive to the wire.
0: I mean, were you? I know that you you weren't able to attend. Maybe we can quickly address that you weren't able to attend here. Were you riding her home from your couch?
1: Yeah, no, I was that I was actually um, during the day I was in the barn all day. Um, I was at home obviously for the for the runner in California. But so at the three pole, when I think it was around about that stage in the in the race that Jose looked back, and at that point I thought, well, he's obviously got a lot of horse still left. So we might have a, a a good chance maybe to finish second, who knows? It. so that's when I sort of gradually crept closer to the TV screen so I could see a bit closer and um your heart starts racing a little bit faster. And um thankfully for us, she stuck ahead in front of the wire and I went outside and you know, it, was, it was during feed time, so there was a lot of guys in the barn and just thanked them and everything and didn't know immediately that there was a student's inquiry and an objection going on so I'm thinking we've won the race and five minutes later I walked back inside and the tv was on and there was a, an inquiry going on so I started to panic for for, for a few minutes but thankfully it came out um, in our favor.
0: Did you get the chance to, to see the head on and did you think there was a chance that they were going to alter the result?
1: You know I'm Obviously I'm going to be biased and, you know, everyone's got their own opinion and, and I'd be actually, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people don't know this, but the first time I ever spoke to Jose Lascano that he's written it twice now was after he won on Vexatious, and after he hung up the phone to the stewards, that's the first time I've had communication with, that just goes to show you how capable and how good a rider Jose Lascano is because I didn't any sort of instruction, um, it was simply via text to his agent of this is how Jose seems to um, think he'll ride Vexatious and what's best for Vexatious and thanks to emojis I give a thumbs up and that was it. So the reason I wanted to speak to Jose immediately after he hung up the phone with the stewards, just to say Jose, you know, first and foremost, thanks for riding and what a great ride you gave, Vexatious and if it's unfortunate we get taken down, we'll still be happy to finish second, obviously to a champion a mare in Mare and Midnight Pursue. And so I just wanted him him to have, you know, our confidence and, you know, thank him for, for the great ride. And to answer the question, Naomi, I didn't think she should have been brought down. And I people might think well he's he's going to say that, but I'd be the first to admit if You know, I thought she should have been taken down and I thought the correct decision was made. And I think if I felt vexatious or Jose did something, you know, it's in black and white. Yes, um, she did drift out and come over into Midnight Pursuit. Was it enough, in my opinion, to get disqualified? In my opinion, no. Um, If she would have done more um, to sort of... Knocked mid midnight Kazoo off stride, and you know, cost her the win. I'd be the first to admit that. You know, we've I've been in many situations and been in sports environments where you know you got to put your hands up and say, you know what? I would I played soccer. I was I should have been sent off for that. So um, you know, it's easy to say after a win that oh, if it would have went the other way, but I, we would have been the first to admit. You know, we wouldn't have been a sour loser because we would have been over the moon to finish second to her. So um but fast forward now thankfully it didn't it went in our favor and we get to celebrate you know vexatious success thanks to yeah. her
0: great sportsmanship shown by you here Um i think i might be a little biased because i'm european and i agreed that i didn't think there should be any change because there wasn't enough to say that it would have significantly altered the results in my opinion it was the right decision as well and of course this is your first ever grade one win. How much does this mean to you?
1: You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because it's obviously the spotlight goes to the person's name in the program, which is obviously mine, but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. And I've got hundreds of people to thank for allowing me to be in that position. So I don't really want I to, I can't take any credit for that because there's so many people that helped me out you know, to get Vexatious to that point. So it was a massive team effort, you know, from people in my barn, people at the farm, the owner, the you know, van drivers getting her up there, the tax shop people, there's tons of people that I need to thank. Um it's obviously an exciting time for our barn because it was our first one and um but just thanks for the staff and the support from everyone and um Vexatius was able to do it Saturday.
0: I also think that there's a lot of people that were over the moon for you. There seemed to be an incredible outpour of support on Twitter to congratulate you.
1: Yeah, there was. And, you know, it's the text messages I got from, you know, my old boss, Doug, he texts, whether it's Saratoga or whether it's Belterra Park, we have is he's always following and saying congratulations. But, you know, people like Todd play even Steve Asmussen texts me twice, congratulate he. Obviously, finished second, but people like Steve and Todd Pletcher, Graham Motion, Jimmy Jerkins, Brendan Walsh, who's Tony Dan Blacker, Simon Callahan in California, I had numerous, you know, other trainers that would compete against me, but at the same time, congratulate me. So it was the support is for, I'm very grateful for that and thankful, and it just I suppose goes to show you how great the industry can be.
0: Uh, much deserved for all your hard work, and what did Chucy Jose Liscano and your assistant trainer Mike tell you afterwards uh, how is she
1: doing she's doing great you know again it goes back to how well she, she enjoy <laughs> enjoys being up there at therah togren mark um mark um sent me a picture right after the race, and she was at the front of a stall with her ears pricked. And if she could talk, she would have said, I'm happy and proud of myself. So, um, from a body language standpoint, she was extremely happy after the race and she come, continues to be happy and healthy as we, as we speak.
0: That's great to hear. And What are your plans moving forwards? It's a winning are in for the Breeders' Cup Distaff, staff. So I'm assuming you are heading there with her. I mean, it's home, home track for you, Kentucky based.
1: Yeah. Um. Obviously, definitely, we've got the the goal of the Breeders' Cup penciled in and um, for the time being, she'll stay in Saratoga. Um, she enjoys it up there and why take her out of her happy stage at the moment? So we'll allow Vexatious to continue to be happy and train at Saratoga and um, obviously the most logic spot would be the, the spinster month before the prep here at um, Keenan but we won't make any hasty dec- decisions right now, but if I had to pick that pick a spot, it would be the, the spinster leading up to the Breeders' Cup distaff. But I know you've got the then at Belmont, which we won't rule out. So we've got a couple of options for her for one more race before the Breeders' Cup.
0: It'd be exciting to see where she goes next. Uh, this was also a first personal Ensign win for Calumet Farm, a farm with an incredible racing history, including two Triple Crown winners, Whirlaway and Citation. What was their reaction? I'm assuming Mr. Kelly was over the moon.
1: He was. you know, I think he called about 15 times on Saturday. Um, and I actually made a, a joke to him. I said, oh, Mr. Kelly, we should try and do this for a living. It makes, it makes, and he started to laugh. And at least he got a kick out of it. If only it was that easy. You know, because right after Everfast 1 and he called right after that. And we both were just sort of giggling away with joy. And it was, if only it was that easy and everyone knows how difficult it can be, but it was sort of our, our, that moment and things went our way. And, you know, Mr. Kelly, the whole farm, the, the, the text messages I got from, you know, there's different divisions of mayor divisions, yearling divisions, you know, rehab, all the guys there that people don't see what goes on behind the scenes that, sort of get these homebreds over to me and you know to the races and you know the farm manager Eddie everyone it was just a real big team effort and fingers crossed to still enjoying it to this day.
0: It seems like such a feel-good story and maybe this is a good timing to quickly chat about the reason why you weren't able to attend Saratoga to be there for your first grade one because unfortunately you've had some back issues would you mm-hmm. be able to explain to us what has been going on and how are you feeling now
1: yeah feeling much better thanks but at one point I thought where does the f- future lie that mm-hmm. I was very immobile at one point because if I, I have a herniated disc and I've never experienced I hadn't had any back problems before and it started with a a sort of minor thing and that gradually got worse and you know, numerous MRIs and scans and X-rays and resulted in that herniated disc. But um, at least I can look back and you know, say I lived, you know, through that. And you know, you feel for for people that that go through that because it is very painful. But you know, thankfully it's behind me. You look forward, and there's a lot. You know, especially during this time, there's a lot more people in worse shape than I am at the moment. So. I'm thankful, you know, it wasn't too bad and I was able to get through that. And you
0: were able to move around a little bit more freely now?
1: Now I am. I mean, at one point I couldn't really drive and sit. I had to either stand or lay down. So like we chatted before, I couldn't make it to Saratoga because I couldn't. I'm sure they wouldn't allow me to lay down in the paddock. They would have been, um, why is Jack just laying down over there? But I'm one of the strict doctors... And doctors' orders and they require me to lay down or stand up as much as possible. So that's what I'm um, doing at the moment.
0: I was saying before, there's enough space in the paddock now to create a little <laughs> bed for you.
1: <laughs> I know. It just wheel jack around now. That's um but yeah, I should be able to in a week or so be able to get, you know, back out travelling and back to the usual routine.
0: Well, that'd be nice as I know you Still have a few horses here at Saratoga and a few penciled in for some of the big races. Love to segue into Everfast winning the race, the allowance straight after a uh, vexatious one. Uh, I mean, the day was just getting better and better for you, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. And we were, I was sort of anxious, especially for Everast, Everfast to run because he broke his maiden going seven eights. And as everyone saw, he, he raced in all the the classic type races last year over a distance aground and um with the few races he's ran with us he sort of picked up a, a lot of speed which you have had numerous people ask where's he picked up all the speed from and he brought that upon himself nat- naturally and um you know we ran him a, a mile at Oklahoma, and then we ran him a one turn mile at churchill and i made a mistake of running them in our back garden, in the Maker's Mark on the grass, he didn't handle the grass too well, so led us to that seven-eighths race at at um, at Saratoga, and cutting him back in distance from him really moving forward and finishing second in the Preakness was a. I was curious to see how he'd handle it. He handled it extremely well, and Joel was very happy with him. And um, time and wise, he was perfect because obviously the the four goals now, you know. Potentially his next step, you know, he, he won over the, the course and distance there and we could bring him back in and run him there if he, if he's doing well.
0: Yeah. Cause you, you mentioned before that the game plan might be the four goals. So that's now firmly on the agenda.
1: Yeah. There's a few spots, that, you know, with him, um, you know, you always hope that you might have a breeders cup type of horse on your hands. If he potentially keeps improving a bit and with, is he a Breeders' Cup sprint horse? Probably not. The the three quarters will be too short for him and do you want to try that classic distance a mile and a quarter? Probably not again. So probably the Breeders Cup mile if he if he keeps improving a touch might be a target for him. So whether he tries that seven eighths four goal, or I know they've got the Charlestown Classic potentially on that three quarter type of track. Everfast is not the biggest type of horse and with him being athletic and sort of nimble, he might suit for a track like that. So um, there's a couple of options for him, but definitely the four goals def- definitely, at the moment, top on top on the, his radar right now.
0: You told me a little earlier that you might have a few horses that could be pointing towards this seven furlong uh, contest. Would you mind sharing with us yes, who yeah. else you'd have in mind?
1: Obviously, I know Lexitonian didn't have a great experience there at Saratoga in the gate, but he bounced back with a respectable effort in the Bing Crosby, and it seems like Seven Eights is could be his ideal tailor-made trip there. Um, It's either the the four goal with him or back out to Delmar for the Bing Crosby, but it's slightly enticing. The four goal being a grade one over the grade two race, so um, with him being a summer of town and trying to get a grade one winning him, Um, could be appealing for his sort of career once he retires. So we have Flexitonian possibly and a horse that Kieran McLaughlin used to have, True Timber, that ran in a competitive allowance race at Keeneland going six and a half and he he ran a respectable third and end-of-year goal for him is the Carter at Aqueduct, which he ran well in um, last year. So it's finding a stepping stone for him to progress distance-wise, to finally run in the, the carter at the end of the year. So he's training great at the moment here at Keeneland, and he seems to do well in New York, so we'll potentially pencil the forego in for True Timber as well.
0: Huh, well, you seem to have a, a fair few horses going well for you. and You mentioned Lexitonian. I mean, that was an incredible run. He nearly made it a grade 1 double for you on the day finished second by a nose in that Bing Crosby after uh, late scratching from the averagey Vanderbilt then traveling all the way across the country to the west coast I mean what was your initial reaction to that race
1: yeah I mean we were just over the moon with because I threw a lot of things at Lexitonian in a short period of time within that two weeks he'd obviously at the beginning of the two weeks he started to Keenan on that Monday he shipped up to Saratoga on the Saturday, we loaded him in the gate. He was scratched, breathed him Sunday. Had to bring him back down to Keenan because, unfortunately, Tex Sutton couldn't fly out of New York, so I had to put him on a plane here in Kentucky. So through a lot of traveling at, at the horse, and for him to overcome all that, he, he probably didn't have the best preps. Leading. He was fit and healthy and doing great, but from an ideal two to two weeks to a week out prepping whites for grade one, you wouldn't have shipped him up and down the East Coast and across the the country. So he overcame all that to r- run a respectable second. And At the eighth pole, he started to pick up ground slightly. And I said to myself, surely this can't happen twice in one day, which it didn't. But we were happy just to see him finishing up strong in the race. Yeah, nearly,
0: nearly happy. Half- I don't think any trainer had that won their first grade one would have had a second one on the same day <laughs> at least not that I know I don't know if you know of any no, that have had that
1: a- <laughs> either that just been able to compete you know in several grade ones is enough for me but let alone get lucky enough and win one of them is is a dream come true really
0: So is Lexitonian still on the West Coast now? When is he traveling back?
1: He just arrived a few hours ago. So I'm actually just looking at him right now here at Keenan. So he got back happy and healthy and um, we'd sort of get him back on the track. We'll see how he is. He he seems like he's full of energy at the moment. So we might throw the the saddle on him tomorrow and let him have a jog around the track and give him a pick of grass outside in the paddock and let him tell us when he wants to pick his work back up.
0: I'm glad to hear that he's in fine form as well. And that this is a question I always love asking people in general because I think it's such a numbers game. How many do you currently have uh, back in Kentucky, and how many horses do you have at Saratoga?
1: You know that the, that number is always changing with the two-year-olds coming in, and you know all the older horses that uh, we they may be winding down their career and things like that, that. to to sort of put a, a number on that, it's it's on ongoing changing. So. Um, We've got enough to keep us busy, that's for sure. Uh, And as everyone knows, we've got a few, you know, stalls, thanks to Saratoga for having us up there. And we'll, you know, fingers crossed, maybe we have a presence, you know, in New York um, a bit longer. The the horses seem to ship up there well, and New York's been very accommodating to us. So, um, you know, we've no reason to to stop running horses and stabling horses in New York, if allowed.
0: Well, Calumet certainly knows how to keep your bonds full. I hope. What is it like training for them?
1: I, it's a you know, growing up in England and playing soccer, you, you sort of at a young age, you look at the likes of Manchester United that have so much history and success behind them, then you you sort of look at this industry and you Google Calumet and you see the history and their success, it's it's an honor for me. It's you know like a dream come true to be training for for an outfit like that and people that have so much passion and love for the sport and put the horses, you know, first in their best interest. It really is a a blessing for me to be in this position.
0: How long have you been employed by them now?
1: It's probably two years now. Um, this would be, um, I think, you know, I should keep a calendar on that. I want to say second. how <laughs> I should be able to answer that. Yeah, it's said two years now
0: does it come with any pressure i mean i'm assuming when you're training for an outlet like that and you're employed by a farm with such rich history you're walking and thinking oof i got quite some big shoes to fill
1: no I, I, that thanks to calumet no one you know they you know provide the horses that with the likes of hexages that the horses like that make your job easier that um i think you ask a lot of trainers What's the key to to success? And first and foremost, I, I think ninety nine percent of them will say you've got to have the horse first. And thanks to Calumet, that to providing my barn with great top class horses, and that relieves a lot of the pressure when you've got you know good horses to have in the barn. So um, no, it's we wake up every day with a smile on our face, and you know the staff's the same way, and you know we. We don't feel any pressure, so to say, Um, and that's strictly because of Calumet and the support and the atmosphere atmosphere that they provide to us.
0: That's great to hear. And I'm assuming it also helps that you're doing such a good job for them. So, Jack, thank you so much for joining me again. I said I was going to have you on again, but I didn't know it was going to be the week after. So (laughs) thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me. Hopefully I didn't bore too many people, but, um, you know, if we can never help with anything, you give me a shout
0: I'm pretty certain he didn't bore anyone. Great insight there, Jack. Thank you so much. Now onto a man that needs no introduction whatsoever. Peter Thomas Fornitel was my analyst of the week to go over the grade one action at the spa. Live from Brentwood, Naomi Tucker and Pete Thomas Fornitel. Pete, I've never had you on before. I don't know how this is even a thing that the father, the co-founder of the In The Money Media Network has never appeared on my podcast before.
2: You're, you're kind of right. I'm feeling a little like retroactively dissed or something. But, I, but all that matters is we're here now. We're at the Brentwood and we have PPs for the Travers. How exciting is this?
0: super exciting it only took another four five extra hours (laughs) before the pps came out so we've been sitting here patiently waiting drinking wine and eating pizza as you can imagine (laughs) but they're finally out we got a chance to look at him and you're going to be my expert for today and i'm going to run us through in the order of the races on the day so we're going to start we're just going to go over the grade one action we're going to start with the ballerina which is race seven so winner. you're in Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint Division Race, uh, $300,000. Philly's and Mare's three-year-old and upward. And the story of the race is, of course, Serengeti Empress drawing the number one post on the rail, the speeds are for Tom Amos. And I was saying to you before, is this going to be the race that JK loses his bet to Craig Burnick?
2: I think it's a distinct possibility that jk who after the kentucky oaks uh, and maybe not the smartest move he ever made in his life i can't i was thinking it was a breeder's cup betting challenge entry they bet but i think it was a i think it was the amount of the kentucky derby challenge which i think was yeah there's a reasonable amount of jelly beans on the line here he may be okay here's the thing i mean she makes the the you said it off air the old serengeti empress wins and you know we saw the form That she's had at this uh, at this racetrack over this course of distance and it's stellar it's grade one winning form but the last races are bad enough and there's enough speed in here that uh, I'm sure he's gonna be white knuckling JK during this race but I think he might get away with it. (laughs)
0: Well, for his sake, I hope he won. Of course, last year in this race, she ran a very game second to Covfefe. Still don't know how anyone else pronounces that, but that's how I pronounce it. That's right. Who then became the 2019 champion. Was it three-year-old Philly and Sprint? I believe she got two awards last year.
2: That would be the logical two.
0: So there we are. It was a very, very good race, but as you hinted at. She hasn't been that strong lately. Sorry, Tom Amos, we all love you, but she just hasn't <laughs> been back to her best. So which other way do you look in this race?
2: I'm interested in Bellafina right back. She's one that I've, I've sort of gone back and forth with. I've been in her camp. I've been against her at various times. And while she hasn't, in figure terms, run her best races this year, I think she's run pretty well. And I think she's going to get a good trip, stalking presumably just off of Serengeti Empress, and I think she's another one who has a chance to to get back to something like her best after being sort of uh, progressing back in her form, and I think she's going to take a lot of beating. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they bet in here. It would make sense to me if Bellafina were the favorite with Serengeti, uh, a tight second choice, but... I think Belafina is going to have enough to, uh, to, to get it done in this spot, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, uh, with this pace scenario. You've know, you got so much, so much speed in here, and looking at running styles and looking at uh, pace figures, I can come up with a few different scenarios. I definitely want to spend more time. We're recording this Wednesday night. I want to spend more time like really grinding on trying to design this race, but my gut tells me Belafina is going to get the best trip, and, and I think she's heading back in the right direction.
0: Belafina jumping from gate four. And looking through these PPs, we also have Come Dancing in here, who was in 2019 the winner of the ballerina. But it seems to be a theme looking at these fillies that they've all been very good on their day, but lately the last two races haven't been as strong.
2: I would agree with that. I think Come Dancing still has to show that she's still what she was in the past. I mean, she's now out of the you know the, the Lucas experiment behind her back in the barn of Carlos Martin where she had the best form but the last race was just just okay i mean i just i just don't know how strong that vagrancy really was you do also a victim of love from there re-opposing. and i just feel like either Serengeti Empress or Bellafina are going to are, are likely to to step back up and, uh, and and I think she's going to find – Come Dancing might find this a little tricky. It would be a great story if she won, though. She obviously does like it around here and, and be a, a great win for Carlos Martin.
0: Well, I'd love to see these very high-class fillies step back to their best. I think that would make for a wonderful renewal of this race. So just getting back to Serengeti Empress before we move on, do you think that the inside draw on the rail is a negative for her?
2: I don't. The way the track's been playing now, I didn't. I didn't watch much today but it seems like forward and inside have been fine. So uh, you, obviously it puts the pressure on them to break no matter where they, th- she's one that going forward is always, is always going to be the plan. I do prefer speed on the outside. I like having the rider having options. I like the fact that if they break half a length slow, they can still get in a good position, but she's a good gate horse and I, I think she'll just be able to break and she's going to try to go on with it. But just looking at pace figures, uh, cookie dough, looking at running styles, even a, a horse like uh, Latruska, it, her her job's not going to be that easy. And I feel like Bellafina is tactical enough to just sit outside whoever decides to go and, and have a chance to make herself heard from
0: late. I'm talking about that inside rail and inside path. Of course, we have a new drainage system on, on the track, a new surface, and that could possibly play a role in terms of how the race are playing out and and the way the track is shaping up in terms of biases
2: i would agree with that it seems like it's been very fair normal dirt racing biases towards towards speed and a little inside have applied but i haven't really seen it as the paved highway some have described it as but it definitely isn't the track of the last couple of years where it seemed like the inside was kind of dead and you didn't want to be down there Mm -hmm.
0: I'm not an expert on drainage system, but I was told they were using stone, which means that the can, that the water can flow away quicker and means that you don't get that waterlogged inside rail. And hence you get a bit more of an even surface instead of getting sort of bogged down on the inside, which seems to me an advantage for any horse being drawn on the inside. But let's move on to the Longines test, which is race 10th on the day. Uh, I think post time 5.39 PM approximately. We have... The story of this race is arguably Gamine, the number five for Bob Baffert coming over. But you also have the number six on her outside Venetian Harbor, both incredibly fast fillies that will make their presence known early.
2: And I love the fact that uh, Venetian Harbor is getting this cutback. And I, and I think she is going to be I, I, she's in tough because Gamine is right there to her inside. But I don't think Gamine is going to get the, the situation that she got last time. And I'm actually going to look for something crazy to happen in this race, I think, just because I think there is a world in which those two really hook up properly. Um, and you have a horse like Wicked Whisper as well, whose best runs have come on the engine. I, I actually could see this. I mean, Gamine, just looking at final figures, obviously has the strongest ones there's going to be plenty of gamine on my tickets but i'm going to leave open the possibility and may even go a little crazy and, and and pick a horse like mrs danvers on top who does not fit on figures make no mistake does not <laughs> fit on figures but i've seen this movie before and and, and you know in in the past with shug McGahee and, and his patient hands and having fillies who can really come on leaps and bounds but the main thing is Pace scenarios are the thing that can make slower horses beat faster horses. And if Gamine and Venetian Harbor and Wicked Whisper turn this into some crazy ta- ta- test, as a, as as you know, no pun intended, that Mrs. Danvers could be running on through the lane and 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 maybe at least get second at what should be. I mean, it's such a short field. I say a wild price. We'll see what the morning line says. We'll see what the tote board says. But she's just one I've always liked, and I think has reasons to run a lot better than the bear form suggests. And you've got uh, Shug McGhee and Jose Ortiz in the corner. Um, I, I'm going to try to do something a little crazy instead of just going with the master of the obvious here.
0: I like the gutsy move there. <laughs> of course, Shug McGhee won this race twice in 1983 and 1991. Now, there's very rarely a grade one race at the Spa that Sug hasn't won. Every time I look up the figures, he would at least have one win or more. So he has experience with all of them. Of course, Jose Ortiz has been riding the lights out. He's sort of been ding dong in with his brother for the Saratoga title thus far. I love pace setups. So I very much get where you're coming from. Indeed, on figures, I don't see it happening just yet. But if Gamine and Venetian Harbour lock horns, then quite possibly strange things can happen. Now, Gamine, of course broke the speed record fully acorn, uh, 132 and one over a mile at Belmont. She, on, on figures, she's the horse that's going to just outrun them all and, and do whatever she wants on the front, and it doesn't matter what happens pace-wise because she's much the best. It
2: it may well play out that way, and if Venetian Harbor wasn't in here, I couldn't see past her. But Venetian Harbor, got to remember how, how good this one looked a little bit earlier in the year, and I think – it's possible, and connections seem to think, that if she's really going to be better at the shorter distance at the seven furlongs, as opposed to the two turns, if she can get back to her best promise, I mean, she could even potentially shake off Gamine, but more likely the scenario I'm thinking, she just she, she does enough to set it up for maybe something a little a little crazy to happen, or at least something a little crazy to happen for second. You mentioned Shugs winners of this race, but I think I feel like the name that just popped in my head, this could be wrong, I should look it up, but I'm just going to spitball it because <laughs> we're at the Brentwood and we've been drinking. He had a filly called License Fee, um, you know, mid-90s also, who I feel like, oh, God, I, I feel like it was a scenario like this. It could have been a ballerina or a test, one that on paper wasn't quite fast enough and ends up uh, flying and uh and and at least getting a piece if not winning one of these big races that's not the reason i'm picking this one again i've always liked her i think she's progressive she's in the right hands but i just uh, i respect venetian harbor so much that i'm not willing to just concede this race to give
0: well i respect her so much that i actually very much like venetian harbor joel rosario and won this race in 2019 with kofefe uh, looking at that last race she did all the work up front there in the Ashland uh, at Keeneland. And then she basically just got collared by another horse. And I like the turn back because I like how much natural speed she shows from the game, how comfortable she is setting those fractions. Yes, Gamine's going to be definitely with her or trying to be in front of her, but I feel like Venetian Harbour, in terms of her experience, she's had a couple of battles in the past and she's shown that she, she does try. Is she good enough to outlast Gamine? I'm not sure, but I like her so much here that I'm hoping that something's going to happen that she need, like you mentioned, shakes off Gamine and just goes to the front. But I love your... Uh, closer style setup here because if you're going to pick price horses you're going to do it because the race unfolds in a certain way so i, I get where you're coming from
2: i'm hoping that's right and, and i'll just say out of personal interest our friends at black type thoroughbreds and up in smoke have a closing sprinter too i would love to see run on and get a piece i'm not sure she can beat the these bears for uh for first in here but i'd love nothing more than to see a black type thoroughbreds in the money finish with up in smoke a philly we've talked about on the show uh basically a about as much as any horse not named American Pharaoh.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember you guys talking about her all the time. Now, she is drawn on the rail. Uh, She is a bit of a closing type, so perhaps that means it's not as bad and she can kind of find herself in a position that she can get outside the traffic and i mean it's not a big field it's only six of them so as much traffic as you can find i, th- I think she could find a way through if she has anything left in the end
2: yeah it's, i think for her if i were them it, it would be the, the 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 stable name gives away the game it, it's all about make one run try to get in for for some of that black type hey if you can pass them all all power to you but it, it, it's more going to be i don't think the draw is an issue just break break settle come running hope you can pass some tired horses and uh, i'd love nothing more than to see it
0: I'm very much looking forward to that race. So, but let's move on to the day's feature, the Run Happy Travis. I need to keep telling myself to call it Run Happy because I was interviewing some of the trainers, uh, like I mentioned on your podcast earlier, I was interviewing some of the connections earlier at the draw and it is the Run Happy Travis and I keep calling it the Travis. So the Run Happy Travis, <laughs> if you didn't You, you got to apply those the,
2: sponsors, you know. We you hear it on these airwaves all the time. You got to give those sponsors <laughs> proper.
0: Run presented powered by everything by run happy <laughs> okay guys we, we got this so of course the storyline the big horse is tis the law i think he's currently well he's he's the favorite oh, i think he's not odds on just yet but i wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up going off at because he's that dominant coming from that belmont stakes win and what is he really up against here
2: pete there's some nice horses in this race for sure but i mean I do think the, looking at how this plays out on paper, it really feels like it's, he, he, to me, is at least 50% of the market. Again, we're just looking at these PPs for the first time. I haven't priced this to 100% or anything. Uncle Chuck has a, has a big chance. I'm a big fan, speaking of sponsors, I'm a big fan of Max Player, but this is tricky. And I, I do think, well, the mile and a quarter is going to agree with him. I think connections would probably be. Well, no, they want to win for sure. But I, I think in reality, uh, a big, a big run into the number would be would be huge for him. I think it sets up like a match between Uncle Chuck and uh, and Tis the Law. And as somebody who's been on the Tis the Law bandwagon uh, since. I can remember the week of his first race sitting here at the Brentwood with uh, Maggie Wolfendale last year and asking her uh, who the two-year-old who'd impressed her most she'd seen in the flesh was, and it was Tiz the Law. And he always had that potential to be a derby horse and always had the potential to be a Travers horse. And he's really done, in my view, nothing wrong, and I, I feel like it would be uh, churlish at this point for me to, to get off the Tis the Law bandwagon you know, odds on will be short enough, but this is a horse who's going to be all over my late pick tickets and I'll have some uncle Chuck too. And I'm not sure I'm going to have anything else in that top spot.
0: Wow. Very, very convincing argument here, but I, I remember his champagne win at Belmont last year. I was there. So ever since that win, this horse has basically captured everyone's attention and never, never really let go. I mean, he horse got, got a third there in uh, a churchill dance in the kentucky jockey club but i mean this horse has just done everything right he's been training incredibly he's giving Buckley Tagus trainer incredible confidence he he oozes class I, I love using this this sense it's a good so I try, one <laughs> try not to use it too often i like it but i, I he's one that, who deserves he, that yes he's yeah. a horse that warrants <laughs>
2: if you can that. use that three times a year you can use it on Tizball. yes
0: right and also <laughs> i mean if you Going back to the theme of speed figures, he's the only horse that has run triple-digit buyers. He's done it twice. Um, he's drawn gate six. Barkley says that's fine for us. He'll just sit handily. He, he's flexible enough to kind of get in the right position. Manny has said before, he's kind of a push-button horse. If you want him to take back, he'll take back. If you want him to go forward, he'll move forward. Yeah. So- it took
2: them a while to get that relationship established. There were a couple of runs there where it looked like Manny and Tis the Law were were fighting and not on the same page. But I really feel like their as their partnership has blossomed, the horse has blossomed. And I do agree. The last couple of races, he does have that push button look where they just they just seem like they're in complete agreement. He knows he know he doesn't fight him now. He knows he's going to get that time to run, and when the time comes, he puts his head down and gets on his belly and he finishes his races.
0: I mean, I think we can continue talking about Tis the Law for another uh, 10 minutes at least, but love <laughs> to go over the rest of the field because there are some interesting horses in here. You mentioned Max Blair. I don't think it's going to set up for him as much as I would love Linda Rice to capture the Travis. She had a runner before in 2014. Kid Cruz, I think he finished fourth, something Sounds like that. Sounds right. I mean, it it would just be wonderful for a trainer like her who's been dominant on the New York racing scene to get this. But I don't think it sets up for him at all. He's drawn gate four. He doesn't have much of that early speed. But I know that she was saying that she's spoken with Joelle. They are going to make an an earlier move and try to move forward because apparently he doesn't like the kickback.
2: Oh, that's interesting. It's it's going to be it's it's tricky it's just it's just going to be tough because i think tis the law is just going to be in such a good position he's going to be positioned well behind i think it would take tis the law doing something wrong for max player to be able to win but again i think he's a horse who could who will come running he shapes like a horse who's going to love the mile and a quarter and and i think he'll be heard from late and, and a run in the number would be no surprise i just the way i'm seeing the race in my early reckoning um in my mind's eye, I see these scenarios that could favor Uncle Chuck. I see these scenarios that could favor Tis the Law. And I feel like he just, he's going to need a lot to go right to get to the winner's circle. But I think he'll give a good account of himself and go on to the Kentucky Derby as, a, as an interesting sleeper. Um, and I think in a race with a proper meltdown, I feel like he could win.
0: I, I have to agree with you there. I don't see the majority of the, the first two, three scenarios that come up, come up to mind to me don't include Max Player winning because I just don't think it sets up for him. I'd love to move on to the horse on the inside of Max Player, Uncle Chuck, the West Coast Raider for Hall of Famer Bob Bafford who is going to be the main speed in this race, or at least it seems on paper that he likes to move forward. And I mean, on the West Coast, it's speed, speed and speed. And, and Bafford mentioned before, the talent is there, perhaps a lack of experience, only ran twice, unbeaten in two, but really shown that he has the capabilities of just running his race and, and continuing on the front. And Bob Baffert won about three, Travers, Arrogate, West Coast and Point Given. I think he knows uh, what to do to get them right and peaking here at the spot.
2: Point given. That was a fun summer up here back in the day. I think that was two thousand and one. Um, but obviously, he's had success a lot more recently than that. This horse, just you know, the potential is 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 limitless. And I don't think he needs the lead. I, looking at pace figures, it, it, it's possible somebody else is going to go on a mission. But he's certainly going to be forward. He settled enough. He doesn't, he just doesn't vibe need the lead to me at all. And he also looks like a horse just from the way he's finished out his races, widening margins in the stretch each time that the mile and a quarter should be well within his scope. But I mean, I also think this is his third lifetime start and he's going against a gorilla in tis the law. He'd run a really good race to be a, you know, he's a good second to tis the law. That's just a, that's just a massive effort and he's going to be a strong second choice. Again, I can see the scenarios where he – I agree that he will be – I don't know if he'll be the main speed early, but I think he will be the best of speed. I think he'll be found vulnerable late to Tis the Law, but he could also keep going. I guess I'm I'm, I'm making both sides of the same argument. He's logical, but I just like Tis the Law that much more.
0: Well, talking about gorillas, you mentioned Tisla. Tissela is not that big.
2: (laughs) More of a gorilla in the like uh, spiritual sense. I
0: I get it. I absolutely get it. He's not that big. I've had the pleasure of seeing the majority of these horses in the flesh. That's one of the perks of working on the Naira production team. I get to go and take footage of them in the morning. So I have seen Uncle Chuck at the Terra Nova barn. Jimmy Barnes traveled up with Uncle Chuck and Gamine. He's a nice, well-sized, good-looking horse. He is... Sort of your, your three-year-old man. Yeah,
2: no in surprise. Comparison,
0: in comparison, it is the law. Who's just a little bit smaller, but then again, size doesn't always mean that a horse can run fast. Because otherwise, an elephant would outrun a cheetah, right?
2: <laughs> exactly. Or look at, you know, I know you like your jump racing too. You know, <laughs> yes. you see some of those giant horses. They're 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 beautiful, but they're not. You know, the USA thoroughbred. They're they're it's trying to find that right blend of of speed and stamina. Tis the law. To me, I mean, he just. I guess we don't know. We don't know that he's going to love a mile and a quarter, but doesn't he just be like a horse who's going to love a mile and a quarter? Just well, from he looks, how he runs.
0: He looks comfortable enough in, in his races, but also if you look at his works, we were talking about the gallop out before. If Heather Smullen, who niece of Robin Smuller, longtime assistant to Barkley Tech, if she would have led him, he would have galloped out for another lap last time. <laughs> out. But she said, hold on, boy, you've done enough. Let's, you know, let's go back to the barn. You need your rest. This horse definitely, I think, can see, that, see out the mile and the quarter with ease. But I'd love to also mention a horse that is drawn on the outside is not the Chad Brown horse, because everyone seems to go and point to Country Grammar, who's on the inside gate, too. I want to talk about Carrot Carrow, who ran in the same race as Country Grammar. In the Peter Pan, they ran a 1-2, Country Grammar won only beat Caracaro by a neck, whereas Caracaro was much closer to the pace there, did much more running, and just put in, to me, a lot more effort. And he gets the help of Hall of Famer Javier Castellano, who has had six wins in the A uh, Keen eyes, Catholic boy. You, you need to finish my sentence here. <laughs> we the other I'm,
2: ones? I'm going to fall empty trying to remember the other four. Uh, you gave me the two that I could have come up with off the top of my head. He is extremely uh, interesting horse. I think it might be a little bit too much too soon. Um, I do agree with your point wholeheartedly that of the two coming out of the Peter Pan, I prefer him, and he's another horse I think is an interesting prospect to run into the number. But I, I think ultimately is going to just find this task a little bit too tough between the between the top two in the market. I just again I just think it's going to be it, it's hard for me. To see, it's hard for me to see one of them not winning. I could see something going amiss and and one of them running out, but I feel like one of them or the other one is going to win. But I, but I do think that's good analysis of the Peter Pan and which horse I'd expect to do better. And if you could get a head to head wager on those two, I think you'd be getting odds and and also the best of it.
0: Well, it is of course a, a fast turnaround. I do you believe it's three weeks uh, in between the Peter Pan and the Travers this weekend now. I know that Chad Brown, during the draw this morning, said, of course, we would have loved to have a bit more time when he was talking about Country Grammar, which is the exact same race. So I'm assuming that Gustavo Delgado might have a similar sentiment. Now, coming from, I have racing background in Australia and, and in Europe as well. In Australia, I feel like they're much more accustomed to turning their horses ra- around shorter timelines. We're talking about sometimes a week or two weeks and doing so successfully. So three weeks to me, perhaps not ideal but also not the biggest obstacle.
2: I think a lot of that has to do with dirt versus turf. I think that with turf racing and the dynamics they are in, it's easier to come back. I think with modern trainers, especially those like Chad, who definitely um, train with the idea of peak efforts, taking something out of horses, and I presume use a a product like the Sheets to help them uh, manage their horses, which are uh, typically lean towards more spacing between races. But I do think the attritional fast early nature of dirt racing does make it a little bit more of a concern it's nothing crazy though that's not why i'm against uh, those horses i just think they found a couple who are going to be very one one of them is going to show up and be very very tough in this year's drivers
0: true and and getting back to your dirt sentiment the horses that i had in mind that was all on turf a so very good point here it completely oblivious my argument <laughs> but yes yes you're right there and uh, do think that Karakara is an interesting prospect, but as you mentioned, it does take something out of a horse and he ran his heart out. And so did Country Grammar. So maybe the two of them are going to struggle in this field because there are two very, very good horses here in lot and Uncle Chuck.
2: Yeah, I would, I, I would keep an eye on both of them for the future. I just think it's going to be tough on Saturday.
0: Absolutely. Well, Pete, I think uh, I've kept you long enough. We've been sitting here for quite a while. Uh, the sun <laughs> yeah. has gone down and uh, I feel like we have to wrap this up, but it's... Quite the weekend coming up. Where are you going to watch the races from?
2: It's a great question. I'm not on TV this weekend for some for whatever reason. Sky haven't asked me. So uh, a friend invited me to a porch party. I may just hang at home. May head over to Walton Whitman and watch there. It's all uh, it's all up in the air. Where will you watch the actual Traverse from? What will be your vantage point?
0: Ooh, if I get the chance to escape the trader or whatever I'm busy with, I love to just go to the rail possibly half a furlong before the line and to stand there. But funnily enough, when I did that for the personal ensign, that's where Steve Asmussen was. That's where George Weaver was. That's where everyone seems to be. So it's, it's funny that we're all still spreading out and everyone's sort of privately watching these races, but that, that's, that's what I would do.
2: Sounds like a good vantage point.
0: Well, Pete, thank you so much. I'm glad I finally got you on the show.
2: I am very appreciative of the opportunity. Anytime you're hard up for a guest, you know where to find me.
0: One of the founding fathers gracing the talk racing to me with naomi podcast it was a fun night and we got to chat plenty about the racing action past and future i might get lucky and watch the travis from the rail on saturday where will you be watching it from let me know on twitter see you next week so much more fun stuff in store for you i promise